Business is simple. It's just not easy. We focus on three things to help you run and grow your business more easily. Talent, sales, and how to scale. This is the Talent, Sales, and Scale Show. everyone, Brian Whittington with this episode of the Talent, Sales, and Scale Show. We have a uh, real treat for you today. We have Lauren uh, Ahrens. She's a board member of Talk, which is a local community of, describe that again, a recruiters? A local chapter of recruiting leaders sharing ideas and, and expertise. Yeah, pretty cool. I didn't even know that, that that works. So up there in Syracuse. And then she's the director of talent acquisition with Rapid Response Monitors. and. Um, when we were talking in the past, she brought something up to me that really resonated. And she says, you know, we should discuss how sales and recruiting is really analogous. And I thought, oh, my gosh, you're the first person that I've ever heard say that. And I wholeheartedly agree. So that's why we have Lauren on the line. So, Lauren, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Brian. Happy to be here. And just one correction, it's Rapid Response Monitoring Services. Services. Uh, I forgot the services. Son of a gun. All good. All good. good. I appreciate you correcting me. Well, with that said, um, number one question we always ask is, Lauren, why in the world should we listen to you about recruiters being analogous to sales recruiting? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, one, I I don't think I ever like holding on to the word expert, but um, I, I feel like recruiting has been kind of my life's work. It's been something I've always been really passionate about. I find myself to be really intellectually curious about recruiting in general. Um, most of my career has been building um, technology and data um, enabled recruiting functions for the global Fortune 500, spent some time at Barclays, at Capital One, and then Alcoa. Um, and then I took a three-year recruiting sabbatical to found a sales team for a recruiting technology startup called Hired Score. Um, I'd been an early adopter of that while I was at Alcoa, um, became really, really fascinated with the technology in general, um, and was really excited to join um, then CEO and then later um, an additional VP of sales um, to help build out the client portfolio among my peer group. Um, so I spent three years sort of studying sales and realizing just how analogous it was to recruiting um, and was really excited to sort of return with that expertise and lens um, to the world of recruiting and apply all of my sales learnings there. Well, that's pretty uh, curious background. So walk me through a little bit. How did you go from, because your your background wasn't just strictly, I mean, you were HR, you were recruiting, um, then you went into, into sales. So walk me through that because a lot of people in sales wouldn't necessarily hire a recruiter and a lot of recruiters wouldn't necessarily want to go into sales. So how in the world did that happen? Yeah, so... Um, I've gotten really lucky with the opportunities that have kind of fallen in my lap. Um, I actually finished undergrad, um, wasn't sure what I wanted to do, um, decided I really wanted to go live in a foreign country. I lived in Spain for two years and taught English. Um, I came back with um, not really sure what I wanted to do, but I moved to New York City, ended up getting a job working for a hedge fund administrator as an analyst for three years. Um, Had no background in it, but found I really liked telling stories with numbers. Um, became really fascinated with how talent decisions affect everyone's sort of day-to-day life, the culture of an organization, um, just how influential leaders are in shaping that culture, sort of leading from the top. Um, Opted to get my MBA from NYU, um, did that at night while working full-time. The company actually had a successful exit. Um, They were sold to another company. Um, At that point, it was my opportunity to sort of relaunch myself 
Um, and with a little bit of background, our CFO had actually been uh, PMO at JP Morgan. So he came with a very project management data analyst focus. I learned a ton just in Excel, um, but also about project management, business process optimization um, was kind of the lens we looked at everything um, through while I worked there. I took all of that understanding and landed an opportunity working for an RPO at Barclays, who subsequently hired me on um, to Barclays full-time. Uh, I worked under the head of Wealth Americas um, on the recruiting side, their uh, recruiting wealth advisors, um, assessing the profitability of our recruitment. So it was sort of a natural marriage between all of the experiences I'd had to that point. Um, from there, our senior recruiter, who I worked and learned everything I knew about recruiting from, moved to Capital One, um, hired me there, moved to Alcoa, subsequently hired me there to be U.S. head of recruiting operations. Um, and every opportunity I've gotten is sort of added a layer on. Um, but one of our first meetings at Alcoa was actually with the CEO of Hired Score. And I was so blown away by the idea of taking all of the natural learnings and data of an applicant tracking system and making it worth work it work for you and really taking away those lessons learned. If you think about what recruiters are doing every day, um, a lot of people ask, like, how did you get from data to recruiting? Um, but if you think about what recruiters are doing in an applicant tracking system every single day, they're data tagging. That's all they're doing. So every time you move a resume forward or you make a note about a candidate, you're telling the applicant tracking system something about uh, the applicant itself. Right. And so you take and amass all of those learnings, you can really put them to work for you. And that was really the idea behind Hired Score of taking all of those recruiter lessons learned um, and really applying them to truly be able to identify a successful applicant among a rec that's been created from past applicants in the system, from people who are applying directly um, and making all of that work. And so, you know, I was so fascinated with the technology and saw an opportunity as she was working on building a sales team. Um, we kind of traveled the U.S. for a year together, meeting in boardrooms with really cool um, Fortune 500 recruiting leaders and selling them on this new product. Um, built a really great portfolio of clients together um, with a lot of support from the team overall. It was a really cool experience. But the more I got into sales, the more I realized, you know, just the the connections between sales and recruiting, um, and uh, become really passionate about it as I've. Move back to into the world of recruiting and built a recruiting team here at Rapid. Well, that's really interesting. So, because a lot's come out of this, right? In that in that summation, um, re- recruiting and HR and how important talent is to to leading and uh, growing, right? Because that's why we're talent, yep. sales, and scale. If you don't have talent, you can't sell anything because you won't be able to scale. And so that's the idea of the podcast. And so you learned that out of recruiting and then moved into data management for hiring. And, and you're talking about tagging in an ATS, which uh, to non-recruiter world, that's think of a CRM, that's salesforce.com for the, the recruiters, right? So their applicant tracking system is doing the same thing. So mm-hmm. all the time that your sales managers and sales leadership is yelling at you for not updating your CRM, same thing is happening on the ATS side. So you were able to leverage that data and then put some business process into, into place as well. So there is so many different angles that we can go down. So let's stay on topic here. Um, and if we're able to pull in some of the other ones around data and um, tagging, we'll, we'll definitely look to pull those in. But talk to me a little bit about where do you see the alignment between sales and recruiting is going to be question number one. And I'll write down question number two so I don't forget. For sure. So, I mean, on a basic level, if we think about a traditional sales funnel, right? 
all the things that we know. You're out there, you're marketing, you're getting people into the top of the funnel, however you need to do it. We can take sort of a basic, I speak in a lot of analogies, we can take a basic, you know, B2C company. So let's say you sell sneakers, right? You're going to post your ads everywhere. You're going to try to get people sucked in. You're going to put the shoes in front of people that you think are likely to buy because of other buying signs that they've given and, you know, our social media world, whatever the case may be. But at the end of the day, you want to make a sale, right? So it's, you know, you're putting the product out there. People are evaluating whether or not it's a fit for them. You're trying to give them the right amount of information so that they can make a selection. And at the end of the day, you're going to put a whole lot of data out to a lot of people and you're going to hope to get that sale at the bottom. And the, the sort of key mantra there is, you know, how many people do I need to put this ad in front of before we end up making a sale? Now, obviously B2C, that's a relatively short funnel, but if you think about the likes of, you know, global fortune 500 sales world, that might be a couple of years in the making in terms of those sales cycles, the relationships that you build. Um, but, you know, ideally, if you think about more of like a B2B sales funnel and Rapid is a B2B company, um, we actually provide alarm monitoring services for alarm system dealers. We sell wholesale monitoring services um, and bespoke technology solutions to a lot of really great leaders in the industry. Um, but a lot of what, you know, if you think about our traditional sales cycle, right, you get people into the top of the funnel. Um, they're going to, there's a mutual evaluation process. Is this client a fit for us? Are we a fit for them? Um, you know, eventually you start to have some negotiations, put some numbers out there, you go through a contract, all of that. And at the end of the day, you're hoping that you're going to have a successful client. That's going to have a sticky relationship with you. Recruiting is the same thing. The top end of the funnel, you're putting job ads out places. You're even before the top of the funnel, you're marketing on social media, you're building an employer brand. You're eventually bringing people in through the marketplace to apply to your jobs. Um, once they're sort of in that application stage, there's a mutual evaluation. I coach all my recruiters. Um, you know, when we're doing those fact-finding missions, it's not just about determining if a candidate's going to be a good fit for the company and be able to do the job well. It's also about whether or not the job is going to be a good fit for them. So there's that natural mutual evaluation in both directions. Um, ideally then, you know, we're negotiating an offer, we're making a sale, right? They're signing on the line, they're accepting our offer, they're joining us in employment. And ideally you've got that sticky relationship of people continuing to remain employed with you over the long term. Um, you know, all the same factors come into play, right? You think about the consumer experience, you think about the candidate experience. We talk in the recruiting world endlessly about candidate experience, but especially as a B2B company, so much of that candidate interaction with the recruiter is about their first real experience with what your brand is, um, who you are as an organization, they're getting to know you, but you know, our recruiters in a lot of ways are the face of the rapid brand to the majority of consumers out there that you know, aren't alarm system dealers and don't have any reason for interacting with us otherwise. Um, and that's something that we're you know, really thoughtful and really careful about because it impacts you know, the sales experience as well. So should, it Odd question, and I'm not expecting you to have a succinct answer here, so I'm curious about your, your what you'll say. Um, to whom should recruiting report then? Because if recruiting is like a sales function, should recruiting go to sales and marketing? Because you're talking brand or brand yeah. uh, employer branding, you're talking yeah. about candidate experience, so you know customer success is equivalent there. Um, mm -hmm. Should it fall under uh, sales and marketing ops? finance? I mean, how, we're in an ideal world. Where would Lauren put it? Yeah, I think this is the greatest question ever. I This is one I talk about a lot with my recruiting peers. It's not an odd question to me. It's certainly something I think 
Um, you know, it's funny. I have had, and I think if you ask any recruiting leader out there, and I've worked with some really, really excellent HR professionals, you know, rapid, not with like rapid as well. Like I've got great partners with the HR team here. Um, I've had great partners in HR in prior roles as well. But I think there are a lot of recruiting leaders out there um, that would say the opposite, that would say, you know, and that we used to joke a sales and HR, which was sales prevention. Um, and I, I say that, I say that mostly jokingly, like I said, I've worked with really, really great HR leaders. Um, but I think there is sometimes that, you know, HR provides a very important compliance function. Um, you know, they want to do things consistently. The rules need to apply consistently. So much of, you know, discrimination is determined, is determined by non-consistency, right? It's treating people differently. Um, and that truthfully is a very hefty value that HR provides for organizations. But recruiting needs to consistently change the way that we do things, the technologies that we use. It's just like sales in that need to be really agile, need to change your strategy, your market is changing. I mean, think about what COVID has done to the talent market in the last couple of years um, and how much if, you know, continuing to do what we were doing two years ago for recruiting teams who have made no changes to you know, how they process and what they've done. They're not recruiting. They're not hiring anyone right now. I can tell you that. Like talking to other recruiting leaders who are like, oh, you know, my hands are tied. I'm not able to make any changes. We already set our budget for the, I mean, 2020 and 2021 have both been years of immense challenge, but a ton of change, changing the way that we do things, changing our strategy, changing where we're advertising, how we're advertising, who we're advertising to, what we're opting into, what we're reporting on. All that stuff for us has been changing continuously. It's been an exhausting couple of years. Um, but what we found is, you know, sort of, it's like the famous Henry Ford quote, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. I think most sales teams know if you're not changing your strategy, you're going to wither on the vine. Recruiting, I think high performance recruiting teams have learned that as well. Um, I've added four new roles to my recruiting team in general that have never existed at Rapid before. Um, and a lot of that has been, you know, to help us adapt to change that we need to make because we are an organization that immensely values the talent um, and we've needed to be where the talent is. We've not sort of waited and just hope that things will swing back the way that they were before so we could keep doing what we've always done. Um, but it's definitely been a high growth, high um, transition year, two years. Now, at the risk of uh, the recording started cutting in and out, and I don't want to interrupt you there. So I didn't hear the most important. Where should that where should that uh, go to? Which, which yeah, I think I, I think I, I delicately sort of de- defined the answer there. Now, um, I think in general, it's a tough one to answer. I do think culturally, it's really important um, to recognize that every organization is different. I could see value of recruiting, at least working very closely with sales and marketing. It's definitely a different function for sure. Um, sales and marketing are some of my closest partners at rapid. We work regularly on recruitment marketing projects. Um, they add a ton of value in our thought process. I bounce ideas off of them a lot. I actually report into finance here. Um, and to me, it's been one of the most synergistic relationships that I've had as a recruiting leader, mostly because I also speak data. Um, and so it's really easy to say, hey, here's my suggestion. Here's the ROI that I anticipate. Here's how I'm thinking about this. Here's what, you know, if we need to add a headcount, here's the impact. Here's what I'm thinking. Here's sort of the capacity model that I've designed. And because I speak in numbers, I think it's sort of a natural fit. Um, I really do think all organizations are different, but I think the days of, you know, recruiting always reports into HR. I mean, I could see value to have a 
chief talent officer, right? That has an HR leader that's senior, um, that has an equally senior recruiting leader. I've seen chief recruiting officer roles being created out there in the market. Um, I think mostly because a lot of organizations are starting to realize that, you know, people recruitment, the selling of jobs is very different from, you know, the standard sort of HR functions. And a lot of HR leaders are true experts in HR, um, but you see less sort of recruiting leaders that are leading HR functions. Um, and and it, it makes sense to me, right, that those two roles are, are desperate. Yeah, and it's kind of curious. I didn't realize before I got into this so heavily how much of a difference there was between HR and recruiting, right? And a lot of yeah. HR people don't necessarily like recruiting because HR is compliance. It's it's um, making sure training's done. And it's a lot more operations and process and, and compliance, which does fit into that CFO or that under finance could fall under uh, operations, but recruiting is really sales and marketing, but to people and talent. So that's kind of a curious thing. So would it be fair to say no matter where they live, whether operations, whether finance, or if you're crazy enough to have um, your own segment of people or, um, well, I guess it's not crazy, but put it under sales and marketing or put it under people that we have to bring sales methodology, sales development uh, ideas and practices to the table. Would that be a, a fair, fair statement? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, again, no, no man is an island, right? There, I am successful in my role in every organization I've been a part of because I know the right people to leverage. I know how to, you know, I have great HR partners. I don't do this stuff alone. I, you know, you have questions about any organization I've been a part of. You work with payroll when in payroll teams and benefits teams and HR teams and sales and marketing teams, right? Nobody's doing this role alone, but having good senior leaders to be able to partner with to me is always critical. Um, but again, that, that overall accountability needs to be coming from a perspective of, this notion that, you know, we have, it's a, it's a shifting market, just like when your, your customers start to go elsewhere, you need to change what your, your product is. Right. Yeah. And so I think there's a lot of, a lot of general transition that needs to happen in light of, you know, those core, um, those core tenants we know to be true in the world of sort of the talent marketplace. Yeah. So for those watching on YouTube, I apologize. I have uh, trying to keep moving around here. I've, I've moved all places around my house and, and every place seems to have the sun coming in around this time every single day. So uh, at least it's mostly a podcast and not all YouTube. Now, I wanted to hit on the four four roles that you that you created. Talk to me a little bit about those four roles that you created. Yeah, for sure. So um, I have a head of military sourcing. Um, so we have, we've added a recruiter to the team that is focused specifically on at least sort of initial strategy, um, building talent pipelines specifically from the military. So her background is actually, she was a Marine. Um, she actually has a master's degree in molecular biology, very interesting background, um, but cares very deeply about the experience of transitioning um, folks from the military moving into uh, more of a civilian role. Um, and so, you know, has brought a lot of great ideas to the table already and how we think about doing that. Um, I've added an event manager. So we are returning to the world of in-person career fairs, um, but not just sort of your average professional career fair, but university career fairs as well. And so what's important to me is that we are, you know, we've got someone with sort of the bandwidth to focus specifically on events and event strategy. So it's not just like, hey, this career fair is coming. Do we have recruiters available? But it's, hey. How has this performed for us in the past? What are the analytics we want to take away from these opportunities to think about 
you know, whether this is a good use of our time, what are the trends with career fairs? One of the things that we've seen is there's a lot of value when they're adjacent to something that feels like entertainment um, versus, you know, the average, like, you know, you're at a sports complex that's open for the day just for the career fair. No one accidentally ends up there. Um, and you end up with, you know, I think career fairs for a lot of recruiting leaders have gone by the wayside, but we've had really good success with a couple of them based specifically on location. And that's something that we've taken away, but to have a singular sort of strategic resource that focuses on the logistics, sure. And the heavy lifting and figuring out who's going to be where, when, and planning for that and making sure we have the supplies and the banners and all of that. But I think beyond, um, beyond just that, being able to think about that strategically as well, um, we've added a, and this is, you know, would be no surprise to any recruiting leader. It's a role that exists in a lot of places, but we haven't had a recruiting coordinator um, here that's been able to focus on sort of the logistics of paperwork, of liaising with HR to make sure they're aware of all new hires to help us do, we do online assessments. We actually administer them in-house so that everyone has a consistent experience so that they know where they're going and what they're taking and when. So she'll be focused on doing that as well. Um, and um, I've also added a uh, talent projects and programs manager. So um, she's great. She's sort of my in-house project leader. Um, she also does some HR recruitment and some executive recruitment as well. It's her, her background was in recruiting specifically, uh, but she's great. She is a you know, sort of, and these are all folks who have also, who have already joined the organization. Um, she's someone who actually has been here about a year now, and she just does a really nice job of getting through all the gray, making sense of it all, and just being able to sort of plow ahead, knows when to check in, knows when to ask questions, but otherwise sort of blazes a trail of a lot of things that we've never done before. Um, we're working on a workforce development initiative right now for a grant um, related to training the workforce before they're qualified to work for us. Um, so as part of that grant, we're actually working with employer partners in the community um, to help develop and um, develop sort of that workforce ahead of time. Interesting. Okay. Now, um, I'll come back to some of these in a second, but what I wanted to ask you is, um, is this sales ability, well, I'll ask it this way. Is it more sales ability that we're looking for or knowledge of sales that you're looking for in these recruiters? It's a great question. And I think it's, I think it's all of the above and none of the above. So to me, it's, I, I love hiring people who have sort of an agency background, right? If you peel the layers on that, I think it's more than just they have experience in an agency. I think typically what I've seen in a lot of I'll pause you right there. Some people might not track with yeah, what agency so means. Recruiting agency. So okay. folks that are a third-party recruiting agency, meaning they're like a headhunter, right? Their, their sole job is to find external talent to be placed at clients of theirs. And so what that typically is, is a, it's a lot of, it's a sales role. It's a lot of cold calling. It's, you know, it's BDR, it's business development representative type work. It's hitting the phones. It's understanding sort of the talent marketplace, knowing the industries, knowing the players, um, you know, knowing how to like read even LinkedIn to do talent mapping, to figure out like, okay, if I'm, if I've got a client who's looking for a product leader, right. Product management kind of role, I'm going to know similar products in the industry. I'm going to know who those leaders are. I'm going to know how to get a hold of them. I'm going to know how to get past their, you know, receptionist when I call the office to be able to speak to someone, right. And, and knowing how to sort of get through those, the, that set of data that's really somewhat obscured. Um, but it, to me, it's beyond that. So it's not just 
wanting to hire people who have sales experience. But to me, it goes a level beyond that of people who have sales characteristics, if that makes sense. So to me, it's not just you know, people who are highly social, but it's people who are social and have skills and they're quick to connect. It's people who know when to be, you know, cautious with rules versus know when to sort of break them. Um, it's people who are not afraid to make decisions, right? It's people who, and so to me, it's, it's a lot of those factors. Um, and to me, part of that is making sure that you're hiring people who are comfortable in that sort of rule set and know how to operate, but get enjoyment out of it. So um, when I think about sort of the people that I've added to my team um, most recently that I that I'm really excited about, um, and even my existing team members who have just a great skill set of you know knowing how to do all of those things, but having a natural knack for it and enjoying it, um, to me is what helps our team be really successful. So we certainly have people who are you know data focused and people who are a little bit more you know introverted, more into the details. Um, but having people who know sort of when to look past the gray and get comfortable with that sort of uncomfortability um, to me are the people who, you know, ultimately will help, I think, us get to where we need to get to from a talent perspective. Now, would you say that that's important for every single position or just whenever you're hiring for sales positions that you're looking for those type of folks? So to me, that's those are relationship managers. Um, are the people who the quick to connect, knowing when to be cautious versus when to, um, you know, sort of break rules um, and things like that. And so to me, like those, those relationship managers, those are people who are managing requisitions. Um, they are interacting with hiring managers, they're interacting with candidates, um, and they're building those relationships. Again, just like I said, when we talked about the sales funnel, um, that mutual evaluation process, I tell my recruiters all the time, you guys are consultants here. You work for the candidate as much as you work for the company. So I don't want us purely operating on that one way sort of selling of, hey, I've got a candidate. They've got a great skill set. Hiring manager thinks their resume is great. I need to sell them on this job. It's really like, hey, let me find out if this is a good fit for them um, and helping candidates know what it is that they need to know. Um, you know, helping the candidate really be prepared to understand what they're coming into, to when they get here, know that they've accepted a role that was what they thought it was, um, and that ultimately it's going to be a good fit for them in the long term. Now, you had talked a little bit earlier about BDRs and SDRs. Do you see on your team with how tight the labor market is right now? Um, I mean, it, it's fairly tight out there, and I'm, I'm, I haven't quite put my finger on why it's affecting the whole, I mean, from entry level, uh, no matter the industry services to truck drivers, to salespeople, to senior leadership, it seems to be affecting everyone. So I have a couple of ideas there. Um, But before I go off on that tangent, um, do you see, or maybe you already have, structuring your recruiting team as like that SDR, BDR for initial sourcing, and then kicking it over to more of an executive uh, recruiter where they, they're, they're taking those to a second level and interacting with the hiring managers? Or can, can you walk me through what that looks like in your world? Yeah, absolutely. So we actually have a technical sourcer um, who's focused specifically on building pipeline for our, uh, we're a technology company. We are driven by this relentless desire to leverage technology to help us protect lives and property. It's what we're, what we're about. It's our lifeblood. It's our DNA of our organization. Um, is really this technology at its core. And so when I thought about sort of, and from day one, this was kind of the most critical role that I needed to find just the right fit for, but I have a an individual on my team who does nothing but outbound sourcing for tech. Hmm. 
that is his role. That's been his career, his entire career. Um, it's what he does. And again, it's LinkedIn, it's hitting the phones. It's, you know, not afraid to go after somebody. Um, but he's, you know, doing that outbound. Hey, you finally get the person on the phone, the elevator pitch, the here's why you should care about rapid. But that also has to come from understanding what they've done, understanding the role, understanding what is in it for them. Right. And being able to sort of make that quick, like, Hey, interested enough to keep you on the line. Let me kind of bring you in the boat. So um, from there, he hands it off to a relationship manager on my team. Who's already done, you know, the intake session with the hiring manager, understanding everything there is about the role, understanding also what the deterrents of the role are, you know, how have we, what have we struggled with to fill this role in the past? You know, why have people been successful and unsuccessful in this role Um, to really sort of have that full picture um, but that sort of dynamic of that outbound sourcer paired with that in-house relationship manager um, has been a really, really good dynamic for us. Um, and also giving that, you know, we, I, I don't, you know, we are a sales function, but we also do have to operate within the boundaries of compliance. And so having my relationship managers who are also well-versed on how to write, you know, good qualifications that, you know, would stand up to um, any kind of like assessment tests, you know, making sure that we're being compliant and how we write basic and preferred qualifications um, and things like that as well. So. Okay. Now, so interesting. Now, do you have a technical recruiter on, on just the technology side or do you have that person in other roles as well? So my recruiters all as a rule do outbound sourcing. So we're not a, we can't be that function that just posts a job and waits for people to apply one, we're not in that talent market right now, but two, I want to make sure my team is all able to not just, you know, sort of wait for the fish to be handed to them, but also be able to go out and fish for candidates. So uh, my team all does outbound sourcing, but in tech where it tends to be ultra, ultra competitive and because of the type of company we are, um, we've chosen to invest in sort of that dual focus where we've got somebody who really knows tech roles well and really, really loves to source. It's a really dynamic combination, in my opinion. He does a great job. Um, but having that sort of like outbound focus in tech in particular is really valuable. But we do have outbound focus for all departments. Okay. Now, do you find that there's any difference between hiring technology versus admin versus operations, finance, and sales? Any major differences that you are are telling your team to watch out for? I mean, there's always going to be cultural differences among teams. You know, to me, it's a little bit of (laughs) a little bit of sales, a little bit of matchmaking. Um, and that to me is always important. So I think that, you know, that team cultural fit is always really critical, but in terms of how I think about what we're specifically looking for, I mean, we're a company that asks for a lot of dedication. So a lot of that's across the board. So there are definitely similarities, um, but looking for people who are passionate about wanting to have an impact, wanting to know that they can go home every day and feel good about the work that they've done. Uh, we look for a lot of characteristics as much as we look for qualifications. So I think coaching my team on that as well has always been really important. Okay, got it. Now, um, so whenever you're, so tying this back to the, the topic of today is sales for recruiting. Um, I think we touched on it, but I want to make sure that we hit this uh, very succinctly right here. What would you say that the key traits and characteristics are of top recruiters and top salespeople. So you've been in both, you've been in this industry. Give us a sense of top, is it skills? Is it characteristics? Walk us through that a little bit as succinctly as you can. I think it's persistence. And I I come back to that word a lot. And I think it's, you know, it's not being afraid to hear no and know that no 
isn't always the final word. And so it can be no, because it's not the right time for me. It can be no, because it's not the right role, but very rarely is no, like a permanent, the door is closed and will never reopen. Um, I think in the world of sales, there's always a right time. Um, but it, again, it, a lot of my sort of early lessons in sales were, you know, well, if you reach out to a contact the first time and they don't respond or they say no, it typically doesn't mean that they're truly not interested. But I think as, you know, general human beings, and if COVID has taught us nothing, hopefully it's taught us all this, everyone has a limited bandwidth and amount of attention. Um, you and I talked early on about it took a while to get this on the calendar, not for lack of interest on my side. And plenty of salespeople might have early salespeople or maybe not as experienced salespeople might assume, hey, I reached out to this person and a month later, I still haven't heard anything back. It still hasn't gotten scheduled. Oh, I guess they're never interested. Cross them off the list. But it's a matter of like, who has time? Where is that time being spent? I think all of our sort of general emotional capacity has been filled to the max over the last couple of years. It's just the general day-to-day stress of, you know, everything from, you know, needing to manage your childcare situation and take care of your kids at home, um, you know, living through COVID and learning about what a pandemic is and learning more about how viruses are spread than any, anyone ever wanted to know prior to COVID. Um, But if you think about just how much you need to keep going back to the well as a recruiter, as a salesperson, thinking up new strategies, if I don't make this sale, right, how are we finding the right fit, taking feedback, from candidates for consume from consumers, how do I tweak this? How do I make sure that it, it does get in front of the right person so I can close the rack? But along the way, right, you might be meeting new candidate prospects, client prospects on the sales side, um, and there might be a better time or a better product, or you get feedback about products or a job, depending on which side of the house you're on. And that's something you can take back to your, your product team, right? Or your recruiting team or the hiring manager to say, hey, you know, I keep seeing like on the candidate side and I can sort of go back and forth and keep talking sales and recruiting here. And they're, they seem somewhat interchangeable for me, but you can go back and say, Hey, you know, I'm starting to find that there's a lot of candidates I'm talking to who I think have the profile that you want, but there's also this other piece that either they want to make sure that they're exposed to, or they want as part of the job profile. And that's feedback you can bring back. Just like, you know, if you're doing a demo for a client and you have five clients in a row, five prospects in a row that all say, Hey, I'd love to see this feature. Do you guys offer this? Well, you know what? If you don't bring that feedback back to your product team, it's not going to get incorporated and you're going to miss out on these on these prospective clients. But the minute you add that, you can go back to them and say, hey, I remembered that you mentioned this point of feedback. By the way, that's now a product feature. Are you interested in re-engaging, right? And so it's it's knowing how to collect all of those data points along the way and put them to use for you so that you're not just hearing no, right? I think to the uncreative individual, there's a lot of no's out there, but I think for creative, persistent people, I have a recruiter on my team who actually got an email back from a prospective hire um, candidate, got back to her to thank her for her professional persistence. And based on that, agreed to have a meeting. But she, you know, she's like, I connected with her on LinkedIn. I added her to our CRM. I've got outreach emails going to her. But to the average recruiter, when the first time she said no, could have been it kind of end of the line. So to me, having that persistence of, you know, if you're someone who takes black and white, this person didn't respond or this person, you know, I don't want to bother them. I've heard corporate recruiters say that about sourcing. I hate doing it. I always feel like I'm bothering people. I'm like, you're not bothering them. You've got something great to sell them. You need to remember that, right? 
And it's, you know, the average, the average corporate recruiter who's been very accustomed to, you know, filling jobs based on who's applied to the job, right? You, you fall into, you're, you're managing a process, right? You need to be organized, but that, you know, oh, well, this person, you know, hasn't returned my call. So they're probably not interested in an interview, right? Find another way to engage them, send them a text to try to give them a call. Just, no, I send them emails. You know, like we, we all get so used to being in this sort of consistent routine, but to me, the greatest, you know, salespeople, the greatest recruiters are the ones that are persistently creative and coming up with new ways to get at, you know, the right top talent, right? Now, those, those folks have a lot on their plates naturally. So. Now, one quick aside, did I hear you say that your recruiters are using out, outreach? Yeah. Oh, no kidding. So they're using sales enablement tools. Oh yeah. We have automated, we have a CRM, we have automated sequencing that they're using. Um, you know, we reach back out to candidates who get stuck at left messages. I tell my team all the time, these people had a bad Tuesday, right? They had a bad day. They were on their 10 minute break. They're pissed at their manager and they're on indeed. And they're like, apply, 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 apply. Well, you know what? By the end of the day, they've gone home. They see their families. They feel better. They go to work on Wednesday and we call them. Well, they were just having a bad day on Tuesday, but that doesn't mean a month from now on another bad day, they're not going to take the call. Yeah. And so we have a lot of candidates that sit at left messages. And I think prior to, um, you know, another era of the world, I think recruiters may look at that as, you know, oh, they're just not interested in working for us anymore. Well, we, we re-engage all of them. Um, so we have a regular sequence where there's some roles that we're kind of pretty much always hiring for. Um, we're a consistently growing company in a consistently growing industry. So we always need talent um, and we reach out to those folks a lot and we re-engage them and, you know, we send them a couple, we, you know, we create new marketing videos. We've got new content. We're constantly working to get new material in front of them. Um, so yeah, we've got a lot of, a lot of, a lot of and, sales tools going on. on our team. And so you have a, you have a, a separate CRM as opposed to just your applicant tracking system. Yep. And I actually bought it because it was a CRM that I used on the sales side uh, was really configurable um, and was something that I was familiar with. It's not a recruitment CRM, it's a sales CRM, um, but it does exactly what we needed to. So. Very, very interesting. Okay. Well, so um, one question that I had about the recruiter. So I'm I'm a corporate recruiter or um, I'm a founder and I need to do recruiting. Um, do I look to hire a recruiter, like you said, from an agency, from that recruitment firm? Do I look for HR? Do I look for salespeople? Whenever I'm looking for this initial recruiter, especially in today's day and age where it's such a tight labor market, what am I really looking for from an experience level of background, would you say? Sure. Well, one, I'll say recruiters are in high demand right now. I think every organization out there is realizing it's a lot tougher. They're realizing that what they've always done isn't working to recruit folks anymore and they need more hands on deck. Um, but I think a lot of, you know, what I look for in the background of a recruiter is one of two things, right? The, the agency to me is kind of an indicator on a resume, especially if they've been there for a while, that they know how to pick up a phone. And in this day and age, that sounds like a simple thing for a recruiter, but it's the comfort of that outbound outreach. You eat what, you know, people talk about agency recruiters, you only eat what you kill on the agency side versus the average corporate recruiter, where if your job has always been to manage a rec load and manage inbound candidates only, there's a lack of comfort in reaching out to people if that's not 
part of your DNA, part of your makeup, part of your personality is that persistent creativity that I talked about before. So to me, it's the, you know, the agency is a good indicator if recruiters have been with an agency for a longer period of time. And I would ask them like, what was your role there? Right. Were they only managing client relationships and working with like a BDR rep, but most agency recruiters get there after they've done sort of the BDR time, right? Everybody's got to do their time, but you've got to like that. You've got to like persistently putting yourself out to people and hearing no, like not that we like no, but you got to be comfortable with, okay, that was one no, but at scale, right? If you were a sales, if you're trying to sell a product and the first person you reach out to about the product says, no, doesn't mean the product doesn't work. just means you don't have the right customer in front of you. So that persistence of reaching out to more people is really important. And that's an easy test to say, you know, does this, can this recruiter really do that? Otherwise it's a Talk to me about how you manage your recs. Where does the majority of your outbound, you know, where do you, where are your candidates coming from? What were, tell me your breakdown, right? How many people are you getting from employer referral? How many people are you getting from job ads and job boards? Is that what you rely on predominantly, right? Is it only something that you do you only do outbound sourcing when you're working on senior roles? So there's a, there's a fair amount of discovery that needs to happen. Um, and I'd be looking for, you know, I hired, one of my recruiters had some really creative ideas. Um, and one of the things that she'd done in her prior role was she actually built a community sourcing program where once a week she sat at a coffee shop, she called local neighborhood coffee shops ahead of time and said, I want to buy everybody that comes in between two and five o'clock today. I want to buy them all a coffee. I want you to put us, I want you to send them over to me to say, thank you. You can just point me out. They don't have to come by if they don't want to, but for everyone who buys a coffee between the hours of two and four, I'm going to buy their coffee. And they called it like cup of opportunity or something like that. But I love that creativity and comfort level of she sat at the table and she talked to people who came up after she bought their coffee. Um, There's plenty of recruiters out there who like think that that's crazy, but to (laughs) me, you got to be comfortable putting yourself out there. Right. And being shot down. Like, and that's, that's part of it, but you, you need to get at that because there are a lot of corporate, again, it's just the mutual evaluation of, you know, do you like, what you're going to be doing every day in a, in a team like ours, in an organization like ours, that's so heavily talent focused and thoughtful about it. I also want to make sure that my recruiters are going to be happy in the roles that they're in, um, not just perform well, but enjoy that persistent creativity. Now, how about, would you hire anybody right out of school for that initial sourcing, or do you only hire people with experience for that initial sourcing in your, in your team? Depends on, I really think it depends on the organization. We are a, we're a growing company and we're a medium sized business, but I have, and I have a team, our talent acquisition team is nine people. However, a lot of the way that the team is focused, I would struggle with a purely entry level individual right out of school. We have a lot of opportunities within our organization to come in as an entry level person and move around. A lot of my earlier um, earlier career recruiting roles, I just like people who have, you know, good business expertise and professionalism. I can teach a lot of the rest of the stuff, um, but I think I would struggle with someone right out of school, mostly because the things that I really value are that one, they know a corporate environment is for them, um, and kind of know what they like and don't like. A lot of my interviews are focused on like, what are the things that you're really looking for in this next opportunity. Um, and I think that's a hard thing to name if you're right out of school, but that said, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a, I think we're a good step two for people coming out of school, but there's a lot of entry-level opportunity within a 92% of our leadership team at rapid actually started in an entry-level role. 
I sort of say that and then I like to let it sink in for people for a minute because that's significant. Right. Um, but there's a lot of people internally that start, you know, we have we have several specialists who started answering alarm monitoring calls and emergencies who are now our director of operations started as a specialist, our director of marketing and contracts started as a specialist. Um, so there's a lot of people who have really grown up within the organization. Um, but to me, it's tough to take someone right out of college. I wouldn't be opposed to it. Um, and potentially in like a talent acquisition coordinator kind of role where, you know, if they're organized and they have good Excel skills and they're detail oriented, um, but am I betting that they're going to really be happy in a recruiting role? No, because I don't think they know what they like yet. Got it. Okay. Um, well, let's do some rapid fire because my goodness, time is going by pretty darn quickly here. So let's do some rapid fire. So looking at uh, all of these different organizations, what would you say the biggest challenge or mistakes that you've seen people make, or maybe you've made yourself um, in terms of of doing this talent acquisition, of doing this recruiting for really top talent? I mean, I think a lot of organizations, unfortunately, look at HR and recruiting as sort of a cost center. Um, and I really think that's not the case. That's not how people look at sales, right? And so to me, you know, recruiting and HR are, are, should be, you know, sales and sales loss prevention, right? So you want to hold on to your talent. You want to make sure you're bringing in great people um, and cutting corners with talent practices to me never pays off. I mean, people seem to understand the direct correlation. You have more salespeople, you make more sales, you make more revenue, but because yes, you're, you're paying salary to people, it's almost like they forget that that ROI is there. I'm really grateful to be part of an organization that from day one has very clear indicators to me that they treat talent differently and they think about talent differently. Um, and it's something that I really came to appreciate and something that made Rapid stand out for me when I was in sort of the job search mode looking for an opportunity. Nice. Okay. So treat talent as what you, so much lip service is people are high best asset. Well, we'll treat them that way then. Invest in them. Yeah. Remember that they're an investment, right? You don't, people don't look at, you know, a house as a cost center. I mean, those of us who are homeowners understand that it does become it a cost yeah. center at a certain point, but you know, but people understand that, right. You're, when you're buying a house, you're making an investment and not to liken humans to purchases, but you know, they really are like, you know, you're making an investment in talent and that talent is going to reap investments for you on the return on your investment, right? So you treat people well and you take good care of them and they perform well for you. And so remembering that the people who are helping acquire the talent, right, are the same, they've got a lot of the same characteristics and functionalities as your sales team um, and need to be doing all, all a very similar activity. Got it. Okay. And how about the, the biggest tip that you can give for hiring talent? If there's only one thing that you could teach your team, you know, what would be the most impactful thing that you would say you must do this whenever you're hiring for talent or talented people? Get to know every single candidate that you talk to and go into every single conversation, getting to know who they are as individuals. Um, it's something that I have coached my team on day one. I think they're tired of hearing me preach about it, but if you don't take every single conversation that you have, and I talk to a lot of new recruiters about this and it, I think it, they walk in and they're like, okay, I'm in interview mode. I need to remember all the questions that I want to ask and all the things I need to know. And even in a phone screen, right? You're there on behalf of your hiring manager. You have specific qualifications. You want to make sure they meet. But at the end of the day, you need also need to disarm those people and you need them to tell you things about them that are personal, right? You need to tell them the things that are absolutely most important to you. And so to me, treating your recruiters and talking to them about their role as a relationship manager 
it's not just with the hiring manager, but it's with the candidates as well. And so I think taking the time and treating every single recruiting conversation as an opportunity to get to know this person on a better level, um, because at the end of the day, when we get to that negotiation, ideally, right, you want them to tell you if they think their company is going to make them a counteroffer. You want them to tell you what's holding them back from being perfectly excited about this role and being ready to sign on the line immediately. Um, those are those are tough, heavy lifting conversations. And if we don't take all the time that we need to, we don't learn all the things we need to. You have shorter tenure because the person's not exactly excited about the role to begin with, but they need an opportunity. So they're just going to accept while they look for something else. Um, but all of those factors to me are incredibly important. And it's why it's one of the things I really love about, you know, talent acquisition in general, but general talent practices, you know, getting to know people and making sure that you know what's important to them. So where, um, where would I learn more about this? If I wanted to get as smart as you are on leveraging sales within my recruiting uh, function, how would I go about doing that? Any books or podcasts or guides that you might recommend? I really think it's really been kind of my own philosophy. And I, I, don't, I don't necessarily recommend that every recruiting leader out there um, sort of pull the ripcord and jump to a sales role. I think generally having sales experience somewhere in your career um, can be beneficial and doing like direct sales, like the kind of sales where doors get slammed in your face is important. <laughs> um, there's actually a really great book called Cutting Edge Sales. Um, it's a book I read right before I kind of got into sales. A chapter of it happened to be written by the VP of sales that we hired at Hired Score after I joined. Um, but it's a lot of, you know, a lot of different leaders who started their career selling Cutco. Um, but it's a lot of that persistence that, you know, don't take no for an answer kind of sales approach. It's really, honestly, probably the only book I ever read about sales. The rest of it, I learned hands-on. Um, but beyond that, I think, you know, spend time as a recruiting leader with your sales team internally. Talk to them. Ask them questions. Sit in on sales pitches. That, to me, was another one. Like, coming up to speed in an organization, especially when you're going after high-demand talent like technology, Sit with your sales team and understand what truly differentiates your company from the competition in the industry um, and what sets you apart. I, I spend a lot of time with our VP of sales and marketing and just asking him questions and you know, learning from him. Yeah, our director of marketing as well. Our digital creative strategists are great. Um, but I spend a lot of time with them. And I think, you know, because we're such an analogous function, it's it's just like sort of surrounding yourself with people who are doing things similarly to you. I think that and having a really great network of recruiting leaders, um, you know, outside of your industry, but doing things that are similar um, so that you can bounce ideas off of them as well. I've got a couple of really great Facebook groups that I'm a part of um, where I can ask questions of other, you know, sort of folks in the space that know, you know, technology well is one. Um, so Talent Product Plays on Facebook is a group that, you know, I belong to and I've got a couple other recruiting leader friends in the space who, you know, ask great questions there as well. Um, LinkedIn is another, you know, once your recruiting network is big enough on LinkedIn, you just sort of post questions and hear back from people in the space that have good ideas. But I follow a lot of sales leaders um, on LinkedIn as well uh, and read, you know, posts and, and learn things like that. I think that the networking space is just a great, you got to do the brainstorming and the collaboration. Yeah. Nice. Okay, great. And, and then how about the future? What do you, <laughs> what are you watching? Because it's strange. It, it's really, it, you know, I'm a little bit newer to this space on the recruiting side. I've always helped others to recruit top talent, but actually being in this space, doing the recruitment side of it, 
Um, I'm a little newer to that. So I've seen a ton change. So I'm curious about you. You've been doing this for a while. What do you see the future trends? Uh, what are you watching out for? It's a great question. I mean, I'm always watching the recruiting technology space. Um, I'm always really fascinated by, you know, sort of trends and what's coming up. I think um, AI is getting smarter and smarter. Um, it's never going to replace that instinct in a recruiter. But I think the things that we're learning that we can do better with technology and save human time, um, a lot of my focus has been, you know, how do I take administrative tasks off of my team so that they can focus on the things that they do well? Um, and those are opportunities that I'm looking for all the time. I think also looking for technology that minimizes bias um, is also super important. And that's a space I care deeply about as well. Um, it was something Hired Score did really well. And it's something I look for in technology that we see today of just, you know, what is your, I had, I, um, I have a sales call with another vendor this week. Um, that's a diversity enabled um, platform. And one of the things that got me interested early on was they mentioned they use assessments to help sort of pre-vet candidates. Um, and a lot of what the first thing he mentioned was that they'd actually built the assessments to nullify for bias. And that's not always something you hear assessments lead with. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we're taking sort of a deeper look under the hood this week to learn more about it, but in still early stages. But those are the things to me that um, using technology for good in the space so that recruiters can really focus on what they do well is super important. Interesting. Well, Lauren, I can't thank you enough for your time and insights here. Um, so I guess the last question is who should reach out to you? How should they do it? And why should people reach out to you? I mean, LinkedIn is great. I'm pretty active. I'm on there daily, sort of start my day, kind of scrolling through stuff and, and thinking about things. Um, so feel free to connect to me there. Um, you know, always happy to chat with people who are interested in, you know, recruiting leadership, talent leadership in general. Um, recruiting technology is always cool. I love hearing about new stuff. Um, and yeah, just always happy to sort of share ideas. Great Perfect. network of recruiting leaders out there for sure. Yeah. So we'll share ideas and grow together. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. And if you're looking for a great job and you are in technology, definitely reach out to Lauren as well because you're always hiring, right? For sure. Yep. Our, uh, our career site is rrms.com slash careers, um, or you can hit me up on LinkedIn and I'll point you in the right direction. There you go. Hit her up on LinkedIn. Well, hey, thanks so very much. I appreciate it. So remember from a, uh, from a talent acquisition side, drive sales, prospecting, sales development acumen. We're using outreach. We're using sales enablement tools for sales, uh, for sale or for recruiting of talent. Um, almost having a drip or nurture campaign for that talent because they're going to come back around again. There's going to be, like you said, uh, another bad Tuesday at some point. So um, things change on a monthly, quarterly basis. So you're not bothering them if you have a good opportunity. Um, and, and three, make sure that there's alignment between that that talent of the, what they have, their mission and the passion and the culture, all of those things coming together. So really, Lauren, I really appreciate it. Thanks so very much. And remember, listeners, don't listen for listening sake, but listen for application sake. Take the knowledge and do something with it. So with that said, see you next time. Thanks, everyone.